Thank you for praying for Hannah. Pray for Hannah with us, if you will. I mentioned this in our Sunday school class this morning. We have a brand new grandson, Adrian Mays Morgan, and uh, named after Adrian Rogers and Mays Jackson. And, and so you pray for little Adrian. This morning, Adrian is, is doing well, but Hannah is having, she's having a time and uh, with that uh, preeclampsia. And just trying to get her blood pressure under control, and they're just having—they're just really having a tough time. And um, so, anyway, you remember her in your prayers this morning, if you will. And I want to say thank you for praying for me. I believe God gave me a fresh touch this week. I really do. You know, whatever, ever, you know, preachers can—you know—preachers can sort of get into the into the groove as well. Do you know that? And just go through the motions, and God knows I've been trying to seek Him and and make sure I walk in here with His power. And uh, but I believe God gave me something special this week. I really do, and I'm excited. Amen. Just love serving Jesus. Amen. Just love serving God. I appreciate you praying for your pastor. I want you to turn to two different places for me this morning. I've only got one place on the screen, but. I want you to turn to 1st Acts chapter 16 in your Bibles and then I want you to turn over to the book of 2nd Timothy chapter number 1 and I want you to put your ribbon there, your Bible ribbon there, your finger bookmark and I want you to hold both places. We may go back and forth. Acts chapter 16 first of all and then 2nd Timothy chapter 1 and uh, when you find your places, if you're able to stand, let's stand this morning out of respect for the reading of God's word. The Bible says in Acts chapter 16 and verse number 1, Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there, named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported, in verse 2 is talking about Timothy, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. In other words, he had a tremendous reputation Tremendous testimonies, just a young man, but, uh, but had a great testimony. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews, which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep and were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith And look at this last part, and increased in number daily. We're not going to preach on that today, but boy, I think we have a responsibility. We need to keep growing, Calvary, amen. Amen. They increased in number daily. Now turn over, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter number, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter number 1. And look, if you will, at verse number 1. This is talking about that same Timotheus that the Bible was referring to in Acts chapter 16, same young man. Second uh, Timothy 1 verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear, dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. Look at verse 5, church. 
Paul says to Timothy, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. Boy, don't you want to have a testimony like that? Wouldn't it be great if people said about us that that man's got unfeigned faith? When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, but look, look at this next part, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded that in thee also. I want to talk to you just a few minutes this morning about that subject you see on the screen. Somebody packed your chute. Somebody packed your chute. What an odd title to a, to a sermon this morning. But uh, I only wish that somehow I could convey to you what God did in the study this week. If the Spirit of God would become so strong in this room like he was strong in that room this week, man, I'm telling you what, we'd all leave out here different. We really would. I remain standing, and we're going to pray, and then you can have a seat, and we'll jump right into the Bible study today. Father, we thank you for church. It is so wonderful to be here today. Thank you for every song, every special. Lord, Miss Lord done a great job today. The choir was wonderful. And God, now as we come to take just a few moments before we close this service out, and just challenge our folk. God, I pray that you'll use this time to, to be a blessing and to lift up the name of Jesus. We pray for the power of the Holy Spirit, not only upon the pastor, although I do pray for that, but I pray, Heavenly Father, you give our people power to hear and to learn. And, and then, Lord, give us power to take what we hear and apply it. Lord, it, it, that we not be just hearers. That's good to be a hearer, but we need to be a doer. And I pray that you help us to be a doer of the Word. God, we pray that the precious and darling Son of God would be lifted up in a wonderful way today. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake, amen. You may be seated this morning. I'm not preaching on this this morning, but I, I, I feel like I at least need to just mention a couple statements before I really get into the message today. Because as we look in Acts chapter 16 and then in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we see several great lessons. Again, I'm not preaching on these today, but we see several great lessons that are definitely worth our attention. Number one, we see the power of soul winning, the power of soul winning. Uh, you see, the Bible says in Proverbs 11:30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. I never, for a long time, I never understood why God put those two statements in one verse. The fruit of the light, righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. I thought those don't even go together but they really do go together. You see what the Bible is saying there is this. Those folks who are involved in soul winning and leading people to Jesus, you know what it causes? It causes a tree of life to grow. That's what that's talking about. In other words, if you go back in Timothy's life, you'll notice that Timothy, although greatly used of God, Timothy was not the first one to receive Christ. Timothy's grandmother got saved. Somebody led her to Jesus Christ and she became a believer and then Timothy's grandmother evidently had an influence on uh, her daughter which was Timothy's mom and, and Timothy's mother got saved and then after his grandmother got saved and his mom got saved, well then Timothy got born again. And so we see that tree of life sprouting up and, and so may I just encourage us at Calvary Baptist Church to be involved in evangelism. And be involved in soul winning. And, and, and man, every chance you get to give out a gospel track or to speak a word about the Lord or to be here for visitation, man, you ought to come. You ought to be a part because you never know. You might lead somebody to Jesus and it might end up their whole family gets born again. 
And so we see the power of soul winning, but also we see the power of the gospel. In Acts chapter 16, we notice that. The Bible says in verse 1, Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman which was a Jewess and believed. In other words, Timothy's mother was saved. But look what the Bible says. But his father was a Greek. Now, the Bible is very clear to point that out. That's about all we know about Timothy's dad, that his dad was a Greek. But the fact that the Bible mentions that Timothy's dad was a Greek tells us several things. Number one, it tells us he was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. It also tells us that Timothy's daddy came from a very different place, probably a very different culture, and probably most likely practiced a very different religion. You see, the Greeks were what we call polytheistic. They thought there were many gods. Uh, have you ever heard of Greek mythology? That's where it came from. Zeus, Apollo, Aphrodite, and we could go on and on, on there. That's where that came from. It came from the Greeks. And, and so probably Timothy's dad was involved in that religion, yet we find here that Timothy's life was changed by the gospel. And we find here that Timothy went on to become greatly used in New Testament Christianity. Now, I said that to say this. You know what? You don't have to have a perfect life to be used of God. In other words, you may come from a divorced home today. You say, preacher, my mom and dad split up and, and uh, they're divorced and, and I don't have the perfect home. You don't have to have the, uh, the uh, Cleaver home, the Ward and June Cleaver home, leave it to Beaver home to, to, to be used of God. You may come from a broken home, but I'm just telling you that, you know what? Uh, God can use you just like he used young Timothy. Uh, you're, you may come from a home where your family is lost. Maybe your mother's born again, but your daddy is lost or vice versa. You may come from a home where your siblings don't know the Lord. And I'm just saying this, that you know what? Just as God used Timothy, God can use you. And so we see the power of the gospel. But let's get to the message. Acts chapter 16, verse number one is the very first mention of a young disciple named Timothy or Timotheus. But this is definitely not the last mention of this young man. In fact, if you study your New Testament, you'll find out that he's mentioned as Timothy seven more times, and he's mentioned as Timotheus 16 more times. Same guy, just the, just the wording of his name is a little different there. 16 more times in the New Testament. And as you begin to read from the book of Acts on, you find that, that Timothy be, begins to become sort of a landmark in the New Testament. He begins to become sort of a, uh, uh, what, what we would call a... Uh, an icon of sorts. He becomes a very familiar character in New Testament Christianity. In fact, when you read about some of the greatest Christians, what we consider to be some of the greatest Christians in the New Testament, often, guess who's there with them? You'll find Timothy there with them. And so Timothy has become, oh, not famous. That's probably not the word, like, right word to use, but, but he's become, again, very familiar in the New Testament. But here's my message. Paul is very clear to point something out to Timothy and about Timothy. He said, Timothy, the very reason that you're saved and the very reason that you're serving today is because you had, first of all, a faithful grandmother and then a faithful mother that invested into you and prayed for you and instructed you 
in the way that you ought to go. And, and no, no, no doubt, we're not trying to, 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 to shed any kind of uh, negativism on Timothy's, uh, Timothy's testimony. I'm just saying this, that Paul was very clear to say, Timothy, you're a man of unfeigned faith, but it didn't start with you. It started in your grandma. And then it passed to your mother. And he said, your grandmother and your mother passed it down to you. What Paul is saying is this to Timothy, you're not a self-made man. You're not here, Timothy, being used of God because of your education. I don't know what Timothy's education was. I would say he was probably a very intelligent man. But the Bible doesn't tell us about his education. If you study under the apostle Paul, I'd say you're pretty intelligent. And, but, but, but Paul is saying it's not because of your education that you're being used. It's not because of your personality that you're being used. It's not because of your talent. I'm not sure how talented uh, uh, Timothy was in preaching and communicating. I don't know. But I know this that Paul is saying you're not here because you're talented and you're not being used because you're pop, uh, popu uh, your popularity. He said you're saved and being used of God and living the Christian life because somewhere along the line somebody else invested into your life. And because they cared enough to pour into you and because they cared enough to pray for you and because they cared enough to teach you and train you, that is why you're being used of God today. Man, I heard a great, great story this week. In fact, I, I want to put him on the screen. I heard the story this week of Navy fighter Charles Plum. Charles Plum was a... Uh, was a Navy fighter pilot in Vietnam. In fact, at one time, he was considered to be the number one ace of all times in Vietnam. He had 75 successful air missions flying off the USS Kitty Hawk. And by the way, he looks like a mean dude, don't he? That's what I thought of that. And uh, 75 successful missions flying off the aircraft carrier, the USS Kitty Hawk. But they said on his 76th mission, his plane was hit by a surface-to-air missile and, and Charles Plum's plane went down. He pulled the eject button and they said that his seat was ejected and they said that his, his parachute opened perfectly and Charlie Plum floated down to the ground there in Vietnam and just a few hours later he was apprehended and he was put in a POW camp called the, they called it the uh, Hanoi Hilton. Very famous place, not in a good way. In fact, they said this about, uh, about uh, Charles Plum. They said for two years, he was there for six years as a prisoner of war. And for two of those years, he couldn't even stand up straight because they put him in a cubicle two and a half feet by six feet tall. And so for two solid years, not even able to stand up, a terrible, terrible place of torture, a place where they did psychological warfare and tried to, uh, tried to get those men to say things that they didn't want to say. And, and they said that during those years, the power of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, was so powerful that it carried Charlie Plum through those traumatic days. Six years he was in that POW camp. But after six years, he was released and he arrived back to the States. And Charles Plum decided to go on a mission everywhere telling people of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what God can do. It was 15 years after he'd been shot down. He and his wife were in a restaurant eating. And uh, while they were eating, Charlie Plum just happened to notice that there was a, a man over at another table was staring at him. 
He said, and his wife noticed that he was troubled, and she said, Charlie, what's wrong? And he said, well, he said, that man over the other table, he said, he's just, he keeps staring at me. And she said, well, honey, don't worry about it. It's okay. Don't pay any attention. They went back to eating, and again, he looked back, and that man was just staring a hole right through him. And she said, honey, don't worry about it. She said, let's finish, and we'll be on our way. And so they ate a little bit more, and, and the Charlie Plum looked up again, and we looked over the table. The table was empty, and that man was standing right by his table. He came up to Charlie Plum, and he said, Plum, right? And he said, right. He said, 75 successful missions off the USS Kitty Hawk, right? And Charlie Plum said, right. He said, the 76 mission shot down, you were put in a POW camp, right? <laughs> and Charlie Plum said, right. He said, it was on a certain day at a certain time and even named the day in the certain time. And Charlie Plum said, right. All of a sudden, they said that man standing beside the table got a big smile on his face. He stood up of attention and he saluted and he said, I packed your chute, sir. Evidently, it worked. Charlie Plum got up from the table and embraced that man. And he said, sir, for 15 years every night before I go to bed, he said, I thank God for the person who packed my chute. He said he went home from that meal and he said that night his, his wife Kathy went to, uh, she went to bed and, and went up right off to sleep. And Charlie Plum said, I couldn't sleep. And he said, I lay there in the bed and he said, the Lord began to speak to my heart and he said, Charlie, do you know who, who packed your chute? Do you remember who packed your chute? And Charlie Plum said, my mind began to go back and he said, I, he said, I thought about a godly mother that personally led me to Jesus Christ and and he said, if it wouldn't have been for her, he said, I'd have went to Vietnam lost. And he said, my mama led me to Jesus. And he said, I thought about my mom as my mom packed my shoes. He said, I thought about a godly public school uh, football coach that, that loved the Lord. And, and Charlie Plum said, at one point I started getting off course a little bit. And he said, that godly football coach, uh, coach came to my side and, and tried to get me back into the will of God. And he said, that man, uh, that man packed my suit. Can I ask you a question this morning, church? Who packed your shoot? Who packed your shoot? Oh, you say, preacher, I packed mine. I doubt it very seriously. Who packed your shoot? Uh, Charlie Plum said, I, he said, I, I went home and he said, I began to think about all those times when I passed that enlisted man. And he said, I just sort of gave a casual salute, never even gave him two cents. He said, all those nights, he said, I went to my comfortable officer's quarters and slept. Well, that enlisted man was what they called below the water line. In other words, uh, while Charlie Plum was sleeping in an officer's quarters, that man was way below in the bottom and the belly of that ship packing those, uh, those chutes fold by careful fold after careful fold for hours and hours and hours packing insignificant chutes for insignificant people. But Charlie Plum said all of a sudden one day he packed my chute. And he said that was everything but insignificant. Can I ask you a question this morning? Who packed your chute? Well, we're living in a selfish generation, aren't we? Who packed your shoe? I, I, I just can I just give you just a few things that God spoke to my heart about this week. How about this? Number one, I had some patriots who packed my shoe. I mean, I mean, let's just start there. I had some patriots 
who packed my shoe. Hey, young people, you understand that in World War II, over 400,000 young boys gave their life. Now, I know we're, we're so far removed from history now. Now we're rewriting history, and man, we don't even know what our heritage is and our legacy is and where we've come from. Oh, man, I feel so strong about this, this message this morning. I don't know what to do. Man, we, we, we handle the flag so, so, uh, so lightheartedly and now we're, now we're burning it and now we're wearing it on the seat of our pants and now we won't even stand up for it at a football game and, and yet we still want to make thousands of dollars and I want to say, if you don't love her, leave her, brother. You understand that there were four, over 400, over 405,000 young boys that, that came off of artillery or came off of military vessels uh, right into the way of a, of, a, uh, of a 50 caliber machine gun and hand grenades and, uh, and gave their life and their blood so you and I could do what we're doing today. Who fought the tyranny of, 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 of Nazi Germany and Hitler? Listen, listen now, young people. If Hitler, and by the way, he was working on conquering the entire world. And had he done that, we would not be doing what we're doing this morning. How about this? In the Korean War, over 30, which is something you don't hear about much anymore, over 36,000 of our young boys gave their life for their country. In the Vietnam War, and we have Vietnam veterans here this morning, in the Vietnam War, over 58,000, 58,000 young sons never came back to mama. Over 58,000 young husbands never came back to a loving wife. 58,000 young men never came back to a little boy and a girl they called him daddy. Never came back. Over 58,000. Now, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying, man, thank God some people packed my shoe, brother. I wonder how many are here this morning. How, I wonder how many military folks we have here this morning. You served in a branch of the military. Would you stand this morning? If you served in a branch of the military, would you stand this morning? Hey, just remain standing just for a moment, if you will. Hey, kids, I want you to look around. I want you to look around. I want you to take a real good look. These men, they packed your chute. They packed your chute. What do you mean, preacher? If it wasn't for men like this that said, I'm willing to go, I'm willing to do whatever I need to do, we may not have the freedom to worship God like we're doing today. You may not be hearing about the blood of Jesus. You may not be hearing a song like Miss Lori saying, thank God for these men, these valiant men who packed our chute. Give them a hand this morning. Thank you, fellas. Can I ask you a question? Who packed your shoe? I had some professors who packed my shoe. I had some teachers who influenced my life. Now listen, it's different now, but when I was going to public school, we had teachers that prayed. I had public school teachers. Every morning, the first thing we'd done was stand up beside our desks, salute. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. By the way, and you didn't sit down in your desk. You stood and gave the pledge. And then right after we gave the pledge, a public school teacher would lead in public prayer in a classroom. I had some teachers, some professors 
who influenced my life, who were patient with me when I couldn't understand. I loved algebra so much. I took it twice. I mean, really. And still didn't get it. I took, I loved English so much. I took it twice. Oh, listen, I had some teachers who were patient. I had some teachers that probably, let's be honest, some teachers that gave me a better mark than I deserved. I had some teachers who studied long so they could give me some truth that would change my life. I had some like you that didn't really care, but I had others who really wanted to impart truth into my life. I thought about this church. I had some who endured my immaturity and my rebellion as I was the class clown at their expense. And I look back now and I think, oh God, those poor teachers. And some of the things we used to do and some of the things we used to say, and yet they stayed faithful. I've had the privilege now to go back and thank a few of them. They're much older now. I went by the hospital the other day and there was a lady there and she's up in age, up in age, way up in age. She's serving as a little volunteer there at the hospital telling people where rooms are and things. And I, I went by and I, I saw her, I recognized her. She was my fifth grade elementary school teacher. I said, you're Mrs. and I called her name. She said, yes, I am. I said, I'm Stephen Pope. <gasps> you're Stephen Pope. I said, yes, ma'am. What are you doing? I said, I'm pastoring a church. I've been pastoring for 26 years. <gasps> and I called her name and I said, thank you for investing into my life. I think about those godly Sunday school teachers I had who stood up in front of me every Sunday and and uh, they worked a 40-hour job, a 45-hour-a-week uh, job, but yet they took the time with their family and their work schedule. They took the time to study a lesson, and, and each and every week they got up in front of a class, and, and they did their best to, to try to teach me the Word of God. Oh, this is all I'm saying. There are some people who packed my chute. Who packed your chute? I thought about this this morning. I have a partner who packs my chute. My spouse who God gave me 33 years ago. We, we, we celebrated 33 years. Well, she'd be crazy to go anywhere else now. <laughs> She's got me so trained now. I mean, I listen, why start again, you know, when you've got somebody so well-trained? And 33 years, and we have, we have as much fun 33 years later than we've ever had in our life cutting up, acting like a bunch of school kids sometimes and just having, having, the, having a great time. I thought about this, a, a wife who loves me and cares for me, a wife who cooks for me, a wife who puts up with me, a wife who prays for me, a wife who supports me in the ministry. Man, it's been a busy week. We just sort of... We share a little kiss on the way past. When, when will I see you? Later tonight. And, uh, I mean, people in, in hospitals, people in hospitals in Winston, people in hospitals in Statesville, people in the hospital in Charlotte, Hannah having, uh, having Adrian and uh, complications. And, uh, and it's just, it's been one of those kind of weeks. But you, know, but, but you know what? Whenever I say, whenever I say, honey, I need to go make this visit, she never says, <sighs> she says, you go do that. She never hinders me. She supports me in the ministry. You got a good, you got a good first lady, by the way. 
Amen. You got a good, yeah, you do. You got a good pastor's wife. You do. I thought about a, a wife who, who respects me even though she lives with me. Now, you respect me, but you don't live with me. Do you know that? But she lives with me. You see, what I'm saying is she sees my weaknesses. She sees my carnal moments. She sees, now see, when I come here, I put my best foot forward and, and uh, hey, good to see you. God bless you. Uh, but she sees me in them moments when I, I lose my temper. But yet she still supports me. In the discouraging times, the times when I get my eyes off of Christ, this is all I'm saying. This is so simple, isn't it? I have a partner who packed my shoes. But then I thought about this church. I have a pastor who packed my shoes. Good night alive. <laughs> Whoa, I'm about to get full again. I can feel it. It's coming. It's coming. I have a pastor, a pastor who pastored the same church, the same group of people for over 40 years. He stayed there. And I'm going to be quite honest with you, the church, I don't really know that he got a whole lot the other way. But he stayed at the same church for 40 years. He married me and my wife. He preached the funerals for our deceased. He counseled our problems. I'm talking about Otis Johnson. He visited us, visited us in the hospitals numerous times, prayed with us, and I guarantee you to this day, he's retired now, been retired for many years, several years, quite a few years. He's up in age, way up in his 80s. But I guarantee you, if Otis Johnson heard today that one of the Pope family was in the hospital, he'd come. And he's not even the pastor anymore. You know why? That's just the way he lives. I'm talking about a man who, who put up with my stupid times, who put up with my carnal times, a man who tried to calm the troubles in the church. Thank God we didn't have a lot, but we had some. I remember as a young man, just a young man, I'm trying to think who I, I would have been probably like Keegan's age. And I didn't even know we were having problems. There was a man that was going around the church and, and was teaching a Sunday school class and he was teaching contrary to the doctrine that the pastor was teaching. And it was, it was anti-Bible what, what he was teaching. And so the preacher called him out on it. Well, it caused a big uproar in the church. And, and in the service, people stood up in the service and spoke out against the pastor. Preacher, I'd be afraid God to clave the ground asunder. And I'm just a young man, and I'm thinking, what about the lost people here? What are they going to think? And people standing up and openly rebuking the pastor in the service, when, by the way, you know what he done? He stood on the Bible. I remember Brother Johnson so brokenhearted. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and Brother Ricky... He had that little finger missing, remember that? He'd hold his hand up and that, that middle finger missing. And I remember Otis Johnson standing up broken hearted that day and he just stood up and he said, folks, all I know is this, when the dust clears, I'll be standing here. I wasn't even a preacher, Brother Gary, back then, but I thought that's the kind of preacher I want to be right there. 
If I ever became a preacher, that's the kind of preacher I want to be. If I ever became a pastor, that's the kind of pastor I want to be. I'm talking about a pastor that stayed with the stuff, who prayed for me and preached for me and taught me. He taught me how to visit and taught me how to love the Bible. A preacher who planned meetings and revivals so I could have my heart stirred. A preacher who didn't just preach on Sundays, but ministry was his way of life. I didn't get saved on a Sunday. I got saved on a Saturday. You know why? My preacher was at the church on a Saturday. Because it wasn't just a Sunday religion with him. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying, man, I had some people pack my shoe, brother. <laughs> you are not looking at a self-made man. I, I, thought about, I thought about this. I had some parents who packed my shoe. I had some parents who cared for me when I couldn't care for myself. I had a mama who fed me when I couldn't feed myself and she'd put it in, not spit it out. She'd put it in, not spit it out. And she'd put it in, I sneeze. And she had more on her than I had on me. I had a mom who changed my diaper when I couldn't change myself. A mom who bathed me. I had parents who stayed up with me when I was sick, which was often because I suffered terribly with migraines when I was younger. So many migraines just wanted to pull the hair out of my head. And, and I can remember hours upon hours, my mama staying by the bedside and trying to comfort her little boy. I'm thinking about a, a, a parents who, who paid doctor bills, numerous doctor bills. I remember when I was a young person suffering with an appendicitis and having to stay several days in the hospital. I can remember as a second grade kid having Rocky Mountain spotted fever and having to be placed in ICU. And for days and days, a mom and a dad who would not leave my side. What are you saying? I'm saying, I don't know about you, and you might be a self-made man, but I'm telling you, brother, somebody packed my shoe, brother. Parents who purchased my clothes. Parents who purchased my shoes. No, we didn't have Nike. And by the way, we won't have Nike now in our home. No, we went to pick and pay. We went to pick and pay. Cougar. Cougar. That was the name of them, Cougar. But you know what? At least my mom and dad took me to pick and pay and get, got me a brand new pair of Cougar tennis shoes. I'm, th I'm thinking about a mom and a dad who taught me how to work. I'm thinking about a dad who helped me get my first job. I'm thinking about a dad who helped me get my first vehicle. No, he didn't pay for it. But he helped me to pay for it. I'm, think I'm thinking about a dad who, who uh, uh, walked into the bank and helped me get my first bank account set up, who taught me how to tithe, and why I should tithe. I'm talking about parents who cared enough to discipline me and make me behave. Who took the time to discipline me. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about parents who taught me how to treat a lady. No wonder the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. And I don't know if I'm preaching good or not, but I'm just saying this. Listen, I don't know about you, brother, but you're looking at a man that's got a lot to be thankful for today. Somebody somewhere packed my chute, and because of that, I'm still going for the Lord today. But you know what, church, I'd be remiss, wouldn't I? 
I didn't give you this last one. I have a precious Savior that packed my shoe. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, the Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. John chapter 8, verse 36, the Bible says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what, man. I've got a Savior, and His name is Jesus Christ. Amen who packed my shoe. I have never heard this story before this week. And it did something for me. Dr. R.G. Lee told the story. And I know that you can't see it clearly, but what you're seeing here is the rotunda in New Orleans, Louisiana, where they said that more slaves were sold probably in this Area more slaves were sold probably than any other place in the entire world. Literally thousands, if not millions, were sold on this slave block in New Orleans, Louisiana. They said that back in that day you had to be but one one sixteenth black to be bartered off as a slave. They said on a certain day they brought a slave to the slave block and this slave was beautiful, beautiful young lady. They thought, boy, she'll bring a lot. They brought her up there and sure enough, they began to bid on her and like she was a piece of merchandise, a piece of, a piece of property and the bidding was going well and, and uh, it was getting higher and higher. Except on this day, something very odd in the rotunda on this day, there was a Baptist preacher that was also bidding, a Kentucky Baptist preacher who had just recently taken a church down in New Orleans, Louisiana, and he was bidding with the other slave owners. Odd. You know what's even more odd than that? Right beside him was his precious little wife. And he was bidding, and he was winning the bid, but they said the bidding began to slow and they said one of the auctioneers came over and sort of tore off some of the clothes off the young lady exposing her body somewhat. When they done that, they said the, the, the bidders begin to, you know, increase their biddings a thousand. Can you imagine that? A thousand dollars back in that day. Twelve hundred? Fifteen hundred? And that Kentucky Baptist preacher just kept out bidding. It was going to cost him everything to win this slave. Seventeen hundred! And he still outbid them. And sure enough, they gave him the, the claim to the prize. When he came up, they said that Kentucky preacher came up with his wife and he came to that young slave. The first thing he done was took those garments and he put those garments back around her body, covered her up. They gave him the key to unlock the chains and the fetters. And, and uh, the auctioneer sort of sneeringly said, that's a hefty price. For a slave. What are you planning on doing with her? And they sneered and laughed, wicked men. What do you plan on doing with her, he said. And that old Kentucky preacher with that southern drawl, he said this, how am I going to set her free? How am I going to set her free? They said that young lady, she became one of their most 
closest friends to that preacher and his wife. In fact, she lived right there close to them. She would come over to the house and wash for them and clean for them and do things for them. Oh, no, 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 no. Not because she had to, but because she was able to. You say, preacher, why'd you tell that story? <laughs> because 36 years ago, I walked into a little back office in West Iredell County in the country, a little country church on a, on a dead-end road, and, and I said, preacher, I need to be saved, and thank God he took out his Red Scofield Bible, and he led me down the Romans Road, and I, as a young sinner, a sinner, I called out to Jesus, and I said, Jesus, I want you to save me. I want you to save me, and I'm telling you, brother, all of a sudden, the price that was paid 2,000 years ago on a cross called Calvary, all of a sudden, that price was applied to my account. And Satan walked up and said, that's a hefty price to pay for a slave. What are you going to do with him? And Jesus said, I'm going to set him free. I'm going to set him free. <laughs> hey, I want to tell you what, Calvary. I'm free. I'm free. Oh, yes, I'm free. And because of that, I want to serve him the rest of my life. You see, somebody pack my shoe. Somebody packed my shoes. Somebody invested into me. You know what, Calvary? You know what, church? It's about time we get over ourselves and realize somebody invested into us. And it's about time that we get thankful. You know what ought to, you know what ought to happen today? You know what ought to happen today? We ought to have some people later today call some, make some phone calls and just call some people up and say, Dad, I just want to tell you something. Thanks. Mom, just want to tell you something. Thanks. Uh, teacher, I just want to tell you something. Thanks. Uh, Pastor, I just want to tell you something. Thanks. Uh, listen, I just want to tell you, I appreciate what you've done. You ought to find some of these military fellows after the service and pump their hand and say, thank you for serving our nation. Thank you for serving our country. I'm telling you, somebody packed my shoot. Now, I'll ask you a question. We're done. We're done. But let me end on this. Whose shoot are you packing? Whose shoot are you packing? You see, it's not all about me. I need to be folding. I need to be folding somebody else's shoot. I need to be pouring into somebody else. I need to be investing into somebody else's life so they too can go on and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Who packed your shoot? Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, thank you so much for this time we've had together today. And God, all this week you've been, Lord, I, I, I haven't been able to get over this thought. God, I'm one of the most blessed men there's ever been. I want to thank you, Lord, for those who, Lord, when I didn't even know they were doing it, I was probably asleep in bed. I had a mom and dad that were packing my shoes. I didn't even know my preacher was at the office that night, but yet he was up studying and praying and he was packing my shoot. God, I had some teachers that packed my shoot. I don't know all those young men that shed their blood on those beaches in Normandy. Lord, those beaches over in Germany. Those places over in, over in Japan, Okinawa. I don't even know those young men. But they packed my shoot. God, would you forgive us and would you forgive me for being so downright selfish? 
God, today I pray that you'll give us a church that's thankful and grateful. Have the way in the invitation, please, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, can I ask some, some questions real quick? First of all, how many are here today? You'd say, Pastor, if I died today, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm saved. I know that I'm saved. If you can honestly say that, would you just very quickly slip your hand up and you can, you can take it right back down. Bless your heart. Thank you. All right, but let, let me ask you this. I'm not going to come back and embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. But I wonder if there might be one here this morning would say, Pastor, if I died today, I am not sure that I would make it to heaven. And I want you to pray for me. Is there one anywhere? Bless your heart. God bless you. I'm going to pray for you. Thank you. Is there another? Right now, you'd slip your hand up. You'd say, Pastor, remember me. If I died, I'm not sure that I'd make it to heaven. Would you pray for me? Is there another? Is there another? Oh, dear friend, listen. Jesus paid it all. He gave his blood. Gave his life. So you could have a home in heaven. Why don't you receive that free gift of salvation today? In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to give an invitation. Pastor's going to be here. If you need to be saved, I want to encourage you to come and accept that free gift of salvation today. I promise you to be the greatest decision you've ever made. Let's all stand this morning. Heavenly Father, have thy way. The altar's already been filled. But God, it could be there's others that ought to come. And Lord, it could be, it, it, it could be there may be some that don't need to come to the altar here. This may not be the altar they need. Their altar might be, might, might be a, a mama this morning. Lord, it, it, it could be their altar may be a dad. They may need, to, may need to go right now. I mean, they may need to go to a dad or a mom and just put their arms around a dad or mom and say, Mom, thank you. They might need to find a grandparent, grandma, grand, uh, grandma, grandpa, go to that grandparent and say thank you for investing in my life. They, they may need to find a Sunday school teacher. That may need to be their altar this morning. God, I pray that you'll have your way. Save those that are lost. Lord, do it today, please. We thank you and love you in Jesus' name. We're going to keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And if you need to come, listen, the altar is wide open. Folks are still in the altar. Pastor's going to make his way to the main floor. We're here for you. We want to take the Bible and show you how you can know that you're going to heaven. You come today while we wait. You come.